Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning into today's episode. Today is another state history podcast. So if you're new to my podcast, you've been listening, you know, just recently. Basically, in 2022, I did a series where I was trying to put out two podcast episodes a week, which proved to be pretty not sustainable for me. But uh, on the Thursday episodes, I would choose a state and I went in the order that they chose or that they joined the union and wanted to do like a whole history about the state, what it's like today, their climate, geography, just so I can learn and know more about the country that I live in. Like it feels like I should know more about some of these states than I did. So I decided to do like a deep dive on each state. Well, once I realized that two podcasts a week was not sustainable, I just basically spread them out. So every like second or third week, I do a state history podcast. So we are on the 41st state to join the union. We are on kind of the home stretch here. Um, and so that is Montana, which is exciting because I feel like Montana has been kind of getting a resurgence here lately because of Yellowstone. And maybe that's like the last couple years, but I just keep hearing about it recently this year that everyone wants to like take a trip to Montana and go move to Montana and and all of this. And I heard it's because the show Yellowstone has become so popular and, uh, you know, they're always showing like the beautiful landscapes and stuff like that. Well, turns out Montana is pretty freaking cold in the winter, which... I don't think really maybe comes across in the shows, but it is really, really pretty during the summer, and I do want to take a trip there. So uh, we're going to learn all about the state of Montana. By the way, Yellowstone, just, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. That show, I thought, like, I love Kevin Costner, so I was so excited to watch Yellowstone, and we just tried to watch it like a couple months ago, starting from the very beginning, season one. And I thought it was going to be like this nice, wholesome dad who owns a ranch who, you know, his kids are up to some shenanigans, whatever, but he gives them some sound advice and he's like guiding them through life and stuff. And then, spoiler alert a little bit, (laughs) we get like two episodes in, there's like killing, they're killing these examiners trying to cover up things. And I was like, this show is really, really dark. So I only got through like two or three episodes. I think my husband got through like five episodes. And then we just had to stop watching. It was too dark. And I thought it was going to be this nice, wholesome show about running a ranch. I was very wrong. So anyway, that is uh, Yellowstone. And so just because of that, I was excited to learn about Montana. The fact that people are moving there and excited about it and really pretty. And so has some interesting history. A lot of the same kind of has a lot of parallels to, you know, North Dakota and South Dakota history that we have talked about the last few state episodes, Uh, but it's definitely a unique state. So I'm excited to get into it and let's learn about Montana. Okay, before any of the actual history portion, let's talk about some of the just basic facts about Montana. So the capital is 
Helena, Montana, although that is not the biggest city. The biggest city is Billings, um, but the capital is Helena. It became a state on November 8th, 1889, which is only about six days. Well, I say about. It's only six days after uh, North Dakota and South Dakota became states. So all of these happened in you know rapid succession of each other and kind of interesting. Wait. Yeah, November 2nd, 1889 was South Dakota and North Dakota, and November 8th, 1889 was Montana. So, a lot happened in, in November of 1889 for the U.S. Now, why is it named Montana? Well, uh, Montana's name comes from the Spanish word montaña, uh, which roughly translates to mountainous, which you could probably guess. Uh, it's because the state has so many mountains, so very self-explanatory. It has at least 300 peaks that are over 9,600 feet tall. So definitely a mountainous state. And that's like a lot of what I see as the appeal of Montana. You know, people want to be like at the base of the mountain range. And it's just really, it makes for some really pretty views. So makes sense that people want to see them. All right. The state motto is Oro y Plata, which is Spanish for gold and silver. It harkens back to when mining ruled Montana. So there was a big gold rush, which we'll get into in the historical timeline and historical briefing. But there was a big time when mining really was ruling Montana. And the state was nicknamed the Treasure State because of that. Okay, nickname again. The Treasure State gold and silver deposits were mined from the Montana mountains as early as the 1800s which earned it its name. So that is that. The population uh, as of recently is 1.03 million, which because Montana is such a huge state and there's only a million people, it puts it at 48th most dense. It's the 48th most dense state. It's only denser than Wyoming and Alaska. So... Yeah, it's right at the bottom there. It's very dispersed. Okay, geography. So let's talk about bordering states. Montana is bordered by Canada in the north, which I don't know. Like, I, I think I'm usually pretty good at geography, but for some reason, I did not realize that Montana was all the way at the northern like border of the U.S. That I never realized. So that's why it's so cold. Like you think of, at least I do, I think of Montana as this like nice, summery, beautiful place, not realizing that it's basically like similar to North Dakota. Now, I think the east-west um, location of it makes it a little bit warmer than than North Dakota and South Dakota because of, you know, how the mountains interact with like the snow and whatever, but I did not realize it was so far north. So it's bordered by Canada in the north, North Dakota and South Dakota in the east, uh, Wyoming and Idaho in the south, and Idaho in the west. So Idaho like wraps uh, west and south, kind of around Montana. Okay, the state is known for having two very distinct and different geographic regions. So there's the Rocky Mountain region, so that covers the western part of the state, about the western two-fifths of the state in within that region the glacier national park uh is in there it contains glaciers that are about seven thousand years old they uh approximate 
This is also where you'll find Granite Peak, which is the state's highest point. So there's like the mountainous region. And then the other three-fifths of the state is the Great Plains region, which we've talked about in a lot of these um, states in this area. It has grassy terrain. There's some hills, river valleys, grain fields. You'll see the Great Plains Badlands, which is a mostly barren area that has colorful and oddly shaped rock formations. So that is kind of the two areas of geography in Montana. Okay, climate. This is where it's interesting. So the climate, they get less rain than the average. They get 15 inches of rain per year. The national average is 38 inches. There's about 49 inches of snow per year, which is well above the national average of 28 inches. There's only 189 days of sun. It's not too drastically far off from the nation nation's average. National average is 205 days of sun. The winter low is 12, which this is where it kind of gets interesting. So the winter low is 12. The summer high is 84. The comfort index is 6.6. So let me just pull up my North Dakota notes because um, the climate, yeah, so the winter low for North Dakota is zero, whereas Montana, it's 12. So a little, I mean, still bad, but a little bit less, a little bit more comfortable of a winter, presumably, in Montana, and it gets 0.1 higher in the comfort index only than North Dakota, which North Dakota is like really low on the list of comfort indexes. Like it's one of the least comfortable states. And so it's just interesting to me because I imagine my, my preconceived notions was that North Dakota was kind of this, like, I don't want to say hellscape because it's, (laughs) that's a little harsh, but just this kind of barren, very uncomfortable, frigidly cold winters, like comfort index to the ground, like so bad. And then Montana in my mind is like this beautiful green oasis. And like, maybe that's just how I've seen it perceived in shows and movies and stuff, but they are so much more similar than what I realized. Like I was pretty shooketh when I was researching the climate of both of these because in my mind, it was just so different, but they're very, they're, they're pretty similar here. So the comfort index for Montana is 6.6. The national average is 7.0. That's kind of their baseline. So it is less comfortable than the average state, especially if you don't like winters. Uh, the humidity only peaks at about 45% though. So that's pretty good. Okay, for the historical timeline. Now, usually I do like a year by year historical time, well, not year by year, but I find a timeline online that kind of outlines the state history with yearly mile markers, kind of. Well, I found this good article that's more of just like a discussion with paragraphs and stuff, and I'll probably just pull snippets out of here. It's from montana.gov, and it's just called like a brief history of Montana, so it doesn't go necessarily down to each year, but it's going to tell you the general history of the state. So I'm just going to go through that instead, because I think that's kind of, I don't know, looked like an interesting timeline. 
Okay, so naturally this article starts off by talking about the Native American tribes that were here. So the Native Americans were the first inhabitants of the area that is now considered the state of Montana. So the Crow tribe was in the south central region. The Cheyenne were in the southeastern part. Uh, the Blackfeet, Assiniboine, and Groventre, Ventre. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but they were in the central and north central parts. And then there was the Kootenai and the Salish in the western part. The Pend Doriel were found around the Flathead Lake. And the Kalispell were in the western mountains. So it was a lot of tribes that were in the area already. Then the Lewis and Clark expedition happens in 1804, between 1804 and 1806. So that brought the first group of white explorers into Montana, and they crossed Montana. Then right after the expe- uh, expedition, a lot of fur trappers and traders kind of moved into the area. So it was not very good for the native populations because they brought a lot of alcohol, disease. There was you know, this economic system, it's, it points out that was not uh, known, I guess, to the native populations. So this says that the fur trade was mostly over by the 1840s because of dwindling supplies of beaver, of beaver and the beaver hat, which is a lot, what they were mostly catching the beaver for, like beaver hats were really popular, so they needed to catch and trap beavers. And the trends kind of changed, and the beaver hat lost its popularity. So, um, by the 1840s, most of the trapping and trading was over. After the trappers came in, the Roman Catholic missionaries, they established St. Mary's Mission in the Bitterroot Valley, which is thought to be the first permanent settlement in Montana. So, the traders and trappers didn't actually establish permanent settlements. They were kind of just in the area operating business, but it wasn't like an actual settlement. So the first permanent settlement were these Roman Catholic missionaries. They also promoted agriculture and built a sawmill, it says. Okay, then similar to, you know, the Dakotas, basically there was a gold discovery that brought in a huge boom and a ton of prospectors came into the area in the night, in the 1860s. And then Montana actually became a territory in 1864. So since there was, you know, these prospectors that were rushing in the area, uh, into the area, it created these things called boom towns, which were basically just towns that rapidly grew in popularity or grew in population. And then just as quickly, you know, the gold would run out and then the population would basically like crash. Um... So there were a bunch of those popping up at different sites and gold mining sites throughout the 1860s. Okay, so more white settlers came into the area and the Indians lost their access to traditional hunting grounds. You know, as we've seen with many of these, especially Western states. Well, maybe I shouldn't say especially Western states because it was like most of the states, I think. Uh But there was conflict that started growing and arising more and more between the white settlers and the Native American tribes. So the Sioux and the Cheyenne were victorious in 
1876 at the Battle of Little Bighorn, and Chief Joseph and the Nez Perce won a battle um, in the Big Hole Basin in 1877, but eventually they just could not hold out against the U.S. Army, and so the U.S. Army ended up defeating the natives. Okay, so the miners were here, were in Montana, and then cattle ranches began to flourish in these western valleys, it says, during the 1860s, because there was an, a bigger demand for beef in the new mining communities. So because they were having all these mining towns and mining settlements, they wanted quality food, and there was all this open land, so they started, you know, ranching. After 1870, open-range cattle operations spread across the high plains, taking advantage of the free public domain land. All right, then we're getting into the 1880s, which brought a lot of railroads, a lot more infrastructure, kind of improvements, and then the territory became a state. Again, it was in 1889, November 8th of that year. Hard rock mining also began at that time. Uh, let's see. Butte became famous when silver and copper were discovered. Uh, that led to the formation of the Anaconda Copper Company. That's got a tongue twister. Anaconda Copper Company, which was owned by Marcus Daly. Uh, and that became one of the, the world's largest copper mining companies. It exercised inordinate influence in the state, it says. So, you know, these minerals were found, companies formed to mine the copper, then they have all the money. There's not a large population, so they, you know, have a lot of influence in the state because they can kind of control where the money flows to. Okay, cattle and sheep ranches during this time continued to take advantage of the abundant grasslands. There was the passage of what is called the Enlarged Homestead Act in 1909, and it brought just tens of thousands of homesteaders uh, into the state looking for land that was not expensive. So basically the homesteading rule is like, I believe it was 160 acres for these, um, but you could have 160 acres of land if you farmed like a certain percentage of it. And basically if you're settling the land, you can have it for free. <clears throat> um, okay, wheat farming was popular until there was a huge drought and a drop in market prices after World War One. A lot of the, the farmers were ruined because of this, and there was a homestead bust that forced a lot of farmers to leave Montana. I don't think that was the Dust Bowl yet. Maybe it was that extended drought. But either way, um, a lot of farmers could not survive with the low prices and the droughts, and so they had to leave. Okay, Montana's post-World War I depression extended through the 1920s and right into the Great Depression of the 1930s. FDR's New Deal brought relief to the state in the form of various projects and agencies so they built the Fort Peck Dam, the Civilian Conservation Corps, the Works Projects Administration, and the Agriculture Adjust Agricultural Adjustment Administration. These, quote, alphabet agencies marked the first real dependence of the state on federal spending in the 20th century, 
a reliance that would build throughout the century. So Montana needed kind of a lot of help after the World War One kind of recession, depression, um, and into the Great Depression. Uh, as across the nation, World War Two broke. Wait, as across the nation. Oh, as across the nation, World War II broke the hold of the Great Depression in Montana. The war brought additional federal monies to the state, but drew young people into the service and into wartime industries on the West Coast. The resultant wartime dislocation changed Montana forever. So a lot of people moved to the West Coast during that. Post-war or modern Montana, which is anywhere from 1945 to about 2000, It says, has been characterized by a slow shift from an economy that relies on the extraction of natural resources to one that is service-based. Such traditional industries as copper, petroleum, coal, and timber have suffered wild market fluctuations and unstable employment patterns. Agriculture, while dependent on weather, a declining workforce, and international markets, has remained Montana's primary industry throughout the era. Which is kind of interesting because, yeah, you would think that agriculture is less predictable because of, like, weather and the things that they mentioned. But it actually has turned out to be the more predictable industry of the state. So, kind of fascinating. After 1970, tourism supplanted mining as the state's second largest industry. The era also saw an important shift in the state's transportation system from railroads to cars, trucks, and highways. So yeah, like at one point I was looking at this other um, timeline and it was interesting. It was talking about how in a year, like I feel like not that far back that there was only 50 miles of highway in Montana. And then all of a sudden, you know, all this infrastructure was built and that has really helped like the tourism industry and just people, you know, accessibility throughout the state and stuff like that. So But it was interesting. It seems like they were kind of late on the, you know, transportation system just because it's so spread out and not dense uh, that in this kind of modern era from the 1945 to 2000 is really when a lot of the transportation switched from railroads to, you know, vehicles and highways. Okay, Montana post-war politics has been keyed by some remarkable national politicians, James E. Murray, Mike Mansfield, Lee Metcalf, Pat Williams, uh, Montanans, oh, and, and Pat Williams, okay, it says, Montanans, more conservative on the state level, frequently have split their legislative houses and sought only moderate change. An exception was the passage of a new state constitution in 1972, one which placed more responsibility on the individual voter and made significant strides to protect the Montana environment. Some observers say that much of the subsequent Montana history can be seen as the working out of that 1972 constitution. So that kind of goes along with the shifting industry, like that they're not trying to just extract natural resources, but it's more of like agriculture and kind of a focus on environmental stuff. So that's why that big change I don't know. It seems like that big change adds up. Montana's post-war society has evolved significantly during the modern era. Population shifts have loaded most of Montana's people in the western one-third of the state and emptied out eastern Montana's vast spaces. And a drop in population cost Montana a U.S. House seat in the 1990s. 
the state's population only surpassed 1 million in 2012. It says some national observers consider Montana a part of America's cultural outback, but many Montanans pride themselves on their strong spirit of community, their close contact with the environment, and their fundamental sense of place. So, yeah, a lot of Montanans are very proud that they live in Montana, very connected to nature, and, you know, there's a real, it seems like there's a real sense of pride in the state. So, always like to see that. Okay, let's talk about famous people from Montana. All right, the first one is Evil Knievel, stuntman Evil Knievel, was born in Butte, Montana. Then we have David Lynch, who is a movie director. Jesse Tyler Ferguson, the, you know, the ginger actor. He is from Montana. Michelle Williams, who's an actress. Dana Carvey, the comedian. Uh, Jeff Ament or Ament. Uh, let's see what he... Oh, he's Pearl Jam's bassist. Okay. Uh, comedian Reggie Watts is also from Montana. This is like much better than the South Dakota list. I actually recognize people on this list, which is always, always good. Sometimes it's like the only famous people from a state are people who are dead and like in history books, not anyone living. John Mayer is also from Montana. So that is your list of favorite famous people. There are definitely more, but we'll stop there. Okay, state emblems and state symbols. Now, Montana has a lot. Well, I don't know. I have a list in in a different format here, so maybe it just looks like more, but let's run through the the state symbols really quick. So, oh my gosh, I'm getting out of breath. Again, by the time you listen to this, I will have had my baby, but... I have not, ha- I'm pre-recording, so I haven't had the baby yet. If I talk too much, I just get out of breath. So I apologize for that. But let's run through the state symbols. So the Montana state animal is the grizzly bear. That seems to add up. that There would be a lot of grizzlies there. There's a state ballad, which is called Montana Medley by Carlene Harvey and LeGrand Harvey. The bird is the western meadowlark, which I feel like is pretty common in some of these states. And I think I misspoke on one of the episodes that Colorado's is the western meadowlark. Ours is actually the lark bunting. Uh, but the western meadowlark is, I think, a pretty popular one. The, the state butterfly is the morning cloak, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. So, like you're in mourning. Uh, there is a state cowboy hall of fame which i'm like how many cowboy hall of fames are there where you had to designate one as like the state cowboy hall of fame but anyway the city of wolf point was designated as the site of the montana cowboy hall of fame so fun fun times there the state fish is the black spotted cutthroat trout the floral emblem is the bitter root the state fossil is the duck-billed dinosaur. Kind of interesting there. Uh, the state gemstones, so there's two. It's the sapphire and the Montana agate. So you have two gemstones you can choose from there. 
The blue bunch wheatgrass is the state grass. There are veterans memorials that are considered the state uh, veterans memorials. Actually, there's two state Korean veterans memorials. Stodden Park, which is in Butte, Montana, and the Memorial Rose Garden in Missoula. There's a state lullaby called Montana Lullaby. <laughs> it is written by Ken Overcast and Wiley Gustafson. Very interesting what some states choose to put as like a state symbol, but I don't know. It's always funny. The state soil, I'm not even going to go into that, SCOBY soil series. I don't know why really there's ever a state soil, but there is one in a lot of these states, which is kind of interesting. The state song is just called Montana. The words are by Charles Cohen. The melody is by Joseph E. Howard. There's a couple more veterans memorials for Vietnam and another Rose Garden. Uh, and then the state tree is the Ponderosa Pine. So all those pretty much add up to what I would think about Montana, like a pine tree and grizzly bears. And uh, yeah, a lot of those I, I think do kind of tell the personality of the state, which we always like. Um, okay, things to do in Montana. Glacier National Park is, you know, the first one you can... Go through the Rocky Mountains. We mentioned the Glacier National Park. The glaciers are about 7,000 years old, and it's just really, really pretty. Uh, the Montana State Capitol is on the list at number two to go see. Lewis and Clark Interpretive Center is number three. You can kind of learn about their expedition through the area. There's the Museum of the Rockies, which goes through all these different fossils, and it's located in Bozeman. It chronicles the lives and times of Native American and Northern Plains tribes. Uh, just tells the whole history kind of of the West. Obviously, Yellowstone National Park is a great one to visit. Very, very extensive. And it's honestly, it's primarily located in Wyoming. So like most of it is a Wyoming thing. But it does stretch into both Montana and Idaho as well. So it's funny because, like, the Yellowstone show, I think, has highlighted a lot of Montana, even though most of Yellowstone is in Wyoming. So, for a second, I was second-guessing that Yellowstone is partly in Montana. I was like, uh, it's kind of further down on the list than I thought it would be. I thought it would be, like, number one. Uh, so, I was second-guessing that Yellowstone is actually in Montana, but rest assured that it is. There's a Grizzly and Wolf Discovery Center... So it has, you know, Montana as a whole has such a diverse range of wildlife, you know, bears, coyotes, moose, like all these different animals. And so this is like a rehabilitation and a rescue center for a bunch of those types of wildlife. There's a mall called Rimwalk, Rim, let me see, I think it's Rim Rock Mall. Yeah, Rim Rock Mall. If you like some more indoorsy things, there's the Montana Chocolate Company, which looks amazing. They like make everything by, by hand, and it's this old-fashioned chocolate place. Uh, but most of these things are outside. Highlight Canyon, uh, Pictograph Cave State Park. So if you are into a nature, like a nature summer trip, I recommend Montana. 
highly because everything on this list almost is like outdoors. You can go hiking, fishing, biking. Like if you like the outdoor vibe of a trip or a vacation or to live, um, I highly, highly recommend Montana. Not a lot of cities, not a lot of people, just a lot of very, very pretty nature. So, um, and then a random fun fact about Montana that I wanted to talk about is that Montana has its own version of oatmeal. So it's called Cream of the West and it's a roasted wheat cereal. And these local Montanans have been eating this special oatmeal since 1914. And I actually ordered it on Amazon. I'm about to try it here soon, but I wanted to get this recorded. So I'll add a little segment at the end of the podcast, giving my review on, you know, Cream of the West, see how it stacks up with like regular oatmeal. But I was just so curious. And I guess it's only made by like one very specific company. And there's a few different flavors of it and stuff and like different variations that are made by this company. But I just got kind of the what I think is just the classic cream of the West uh, oatmeal. So anyway, it'll be like zero time for you because as soon as I end this clip, I'll just like append a little review of it uh, to the end of this. But I'm excited to try it and see how it's different from regular oatmeal. So I love the things where it's like each state has its own sort of little quirky food thing. Like Rhode Island had the coffee syrup and you drank coffee milk, which was delicious, by the way. So I love these like little quirky things that each state does. And so I really, really wanted to try Cream of the West uh, wheat cereal. So... I'll let you know how it is. Thank you all so much for listening to this podcast episode. That is all I have for you. I hope you learned a lot. I hope, you know, if you are a summer outdoorsy traveler that you get that trip to Montana that you would like because almost every person I've heard on like a podcast or just in life, everyone wants to go to Montana all of a sudden. Not to live maybe, but just at least for a trip, which makes sense that tourism is such a big industry for them now because... They've really done a good job in, in hyping the state up for a good old nature vacation. So that's all I have for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and I will see you next week for another one. Bye, everyone.